This episode of the Hard Men Podcast is brought to you by Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial, by Alpine Gold, by Max D Trailers, by Salt and Strings Butchery, and by Private Family Banking. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and I'm joined by one of my favorite pastors, co-hosts, Dan Burkholder. Thank you for having me. I, by the way, I thought this was a Patreon thing. No, I, we're, this is the big, this is the we're big, in the big show. Le- leagues. Man. You got called up to the big leagues yet again, man. I hope that my pay reflects that. Oh, well, you know, let's not get into the details here, Dan. Uh, we, Dan, we've had sort of an eventful week, so we're going to talk about a number of things, but I, I want to start with this week, Super Bowl, the Super Gay Bowl. Okay. That's literally what it was. Uh, one of the things we had from Christendom, shamefully, was the He Gets Us ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen the He Gets Us ads. Uh, one of the interesting things, this has sort of been the talk of the town on Twitter, on X, was uh, that you had the owner of Hobby Lobby funding something like $7 million for these commercials. And they, they were woke, Right. So there was a priest watching, washing the feet of some like tranny gay dude or something like right. that, you know. Um, but it's interesting because as you take the pulse of the Christian camp, and it's not necessarily a problem of resources, but where people are spending their money. Yes. Um, and, and, and on something like this, pushing really a woke version of Christianity, you know, a borderless woke Christianity. Um, as you think about that and you think about, how somebody found the money to spend for Super Bowl commercials. Um, what would be sort of your assessment of like, what does that tell you about where a bulk of the church is in America? Yeah, I think one good barometer is actually architecture. So I know, I know it's something that Christians have, have long said, you know, we, we have to be in the, the strip mall. We have to be in the, the middle school gym for, for budgetary reasons. And while many times that is true, there are scores of churches where that is not the case. All you have to do is drive around your town. I'm guessing everyone outside of Utah, well, we even have this, you can find a mega church in the area that has a building that probably costs over $10 million, way over $10 million to build. And you, I've seen accounts on Twitter where they're like, hey, this church, Watermark Church in Texas, whatever, spent you know, some ridiculous amount of money on their building to make something that's not very nice looking. And then they contrast it with something that is actually like European uh, Renaissance or you know, Middle Ages type of architecture mm-hmm. that it would actually cost less money. That is more beautiful. And so uh, using that as an example, where... We often use budgets as, as a reason to not do certain things like, you know, like architecture or proper ministries or, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, it, it actually comes down to something more foundational, and that's a principle. It's, mm. not, it's not a budget or, a, or even, you know, the, the right people. There's not enough talent or, or whatever it is. It's actually a principle that... Christians prefer in our time, they prefer what they're producing. If it wasn't the, 
If they didn't think it was the best thing to do to build these ugly monstrosities of megachurches, to buy commercial space on the Super Bowl, to have, you know, some lady outside of an abortion mill just saying like, hey, you know, there's grace for this abortion too, without any apparent repentance of sin. It's, it's really a principle. They prefer that. They think that is the best. Otherwise, they would do it differently. And so it's not about budgets. They have plenty of money. Yeah, it's not, it's not about that. It's where they put their money because they think this is the best thing they can do with their money. Well, and you've said this before. Um, I know Brian said it, but we actually prefer badness. Yes. Yeah. We, we prefer this disgusting it's a preference for badness. Filth. Um, but it's interesting too. Uh, we were talking about this earlier today, but uh, after his interview with Putin, uh, Tucker Carlson, I think, was at a UAE forum and was being interviewed about this. And one of the things that he talked about that was most shocking about going to Moscow was he said it's a beautiful city. There's very little crime. There's not trash on the streets. And he said, contrast that to American cities, which used to be like that. And he said. When you go to American cities like New York, even somewhere in France like Paris, they're disgusting. You go to San Francisco and there's homeless people taking dumps on the sidewalks. And Tucker was talking about how this is actually a reflection of culture. This is a reflection of if you don't want, it actually gets this simple. If you want the city to be crime free, then you don't allow crime and you don't allow homeless squatters in your downtown park taking dumps on sidewalks or trash cans. And, you know, he said in there, which I found really interesting, it's a, it's a really interesting principle. He said, it's the same reason that my kids, my four kids aren't smoking marijuana at the dinner table because I simply don't allow that. And I, I think there's something about that with U.S. cities in particular that they're disgusting and they're gross. And this is actually what we're not only allowing, but in a way preferring. At least our societal planners are preferring this. They want this. So in Denver, uh, years ago, we lived in Colorado and in Denver right now, they have like this humongous homeless immigrant squatter population in downtown. Okay. And recently the mayor of Denver was like weeping. He was like, we're so sad. We need more money to fund the immigrants. They don't care about the American people, but they're allowing this. Yes. Yeah. You know, these, you know, many of them probably criminals. We've seen the records of this. What do you think it is about the West that has gone that direction while people like Putin are actually seem to be embracing like old world Eastern Orthodoxy and beauty? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. One thing that you can point to, and I think we often forget because we project our perceptions on history so often. And so you look around at your city and you might think, well, it's it's not very pretty. You know, the city itself. Now, I'm not talking about the landscape because it's very hard to find ugly places in the United States. Um, But if you look at the city itself and you're like, it's ugly, it's always been ugly. Why is Europe so beautiful and the United States so ugly? There's an account on Twitter. It's called Culture Critic. And he has a series of videos about historic American cities. Well, like what did what did New York look like in the 1930s? Um, what did Boston look like? You know, and and it has video, colorized video of those cities during those times, and you see them, and they're unrecognizable. They are absolutely beautiful. Now, um, 
accounts similar to this with a historic architecture, they are showing, um, you know, essentially the Americanization of Europe where they're destroying these historic buildings uh, and thus going in the same direction as our modern cities in the United States. And so why, why do I say that? Well, the point is there's actually something fundamental at work here. And when you have a twisted view of reality, when you have a preference for badness, because you actually don't know what is good, true, and beautiful, because those things are all hidden in Christ. And so what we're seeing in our cities and in crime and in the general population, the way people dress, the way people act, the standards for morality and civility are all a reflection of worship. And, and so you have worship and also legislation, right? Because those things uh, go hand in hand. And so you see Moscow has retained their beauty uh, in their cities. They've retained a certain uh, standard of, of living, uh, uh, so, uh, social standards and cultural standards, expectations, uh, because there's still a foundation of Christianity uh, that is assumed whether you agree with Eastern Orthodoxy or not, that's not, not really the point. Uh, but there still has an, is a cultural undergirding of Christianity and they haven't abandoned that yet. And so crime is treated seriously and the cities also reflect the truth, goodness, and beauty that's hidden in Christ. I haven't been to Moscow, so I'm not speaking of this firsthand, but from what Tucker said, I mean, that would track with what my perception is of what's going on in, in, in Russia. Whereas in America, we see we've, we're continually abandoning the standard of Christ. Well, it's this globalist secular nonsense. And I think the lie is that you can change that morale, moral fabric of the American people and not see degradation of culture in cities mm-hmm. and stuff like this. This well, goes to the principle of Henry Van Til that culture is religion externalized. Yeah, that's correct. And so when it shouldn't surprise you then when you see affluent Christians that are buying advertisements of the nature of the he gets us uh, during the Super Bowl, because the goal isn't necessarily to get back to a standard uh, baseline of Christianity is actually just a small degree of I accept your, the way that you live. I, I want you to, to be able to relate to this, this Jesus where you are. Uh, and instead of, instead of a calling up into repentance, you are going to try to soothe sinners on their way to hell. Because that's the, the assumption from these people is, is that there is no underlying foundation of Christianity throughout all of culture. They're, they're not actually uh, embracing the totality of Christ in every aspect of their lives. And it shows. And so, I mean, th- these wealthy Christians are actually just helping this, quite honestly, disgusting world go to hell. Yeah. And, and, and they want to say that they're uh, on your team, but they're cowards. It's, it's actually not true. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I retweeted uh, Joe Rigney. Dr. Rigney had a really good tweet about this. He said, foot washing in the Bible. Part of Christ commissioning humble Christian leaders. Foot massage in the He Gets Us ad. Part of reinforcing the woke hierarchy by identifying who is a special object of affirmation and who isn't. So it was funny. A lot of our, you know, white boy summer accounts and friends, people like this, were sharing videos where it was like, 
he gets us. And it was pictures of like Kyle Rittenhouse. It, right. The point being like, these are not the people, the people that they drowning would, in the flood, yes. you know, in Genesis or there were or some of those, but it's like, mm-hmm. nobody's going to say like, Oh, you know, we need to sympathize with Trump or Gavin right. McInnes or yeah, anybody was, on the right. Yeah, nobody was wearing a mega hat and right. getting their foot washed. A priest wasn't washed, washing, yeah. you know, Trump's feet yeah. or something like this. Um, speaking of culture and what the culture produces first to cultural critic, uh, you're right. He he did. And I saw this one February 10th or so when he tweeted those. Yeah, this one is uh, the 11th. He actually retweeted historic vids, but it's a newsstand in New York City in 1930 colorized. And culture critics said, why are there no fat people? It's interesting because all the men have really nice suits on. They're clean cut. Uh, there are no fat people. The women have really nice dresses on almost no immodesty. And there's a trolley car running in the background. It looks like uh, very different than the New York you might find today in these subway Twitter videos. Right. So this is what has been allowed. This is what's actually been cultivated. That's what culture is, a cultivation of a certain ethos and moral fabric. Uh, But I do find that pretty interesting in really you think about 1930 to today. That's actually not that long ago. No, no, it isn't. It's not even 100 years yet. Almost, but that's a pretty tremendous cultural slide. And then uh, the other thing I was going to point out, I I would also assume just looking at looking at this, the way that people are dressed, the way that they're walking and the way they act, they seem to probably share similar values. Mm. And you can tell that because of the way someone dresses, right? If you walk into your local Walmart, you you'll be able to identify what someone values by the way they look. And so if you see a woman that has very short shaved head versus uh, a lady in a dress that has long hair uh, and is modest, I mean, you, you can look at them and, and, and just what, what, is, what, what are your eyes telling you? Well, these people probably have different values. A guy that walks in the Walmart and he's wearing like a tucked in polo and slacks, you know, probably looks different than the guy who I saw last night who his <laughs> underwear was showing. <laughs> And the people I, of Walmart. I definitely think he was high. So the, you, you can tell they, that within one grocery store, or one supermarket, there are people that have radical different values, mm. which does not help a culture. No, it's actually really a coming apart. As the saying goes, gold is the money of kings. Silver is the money of gentlemen. But debt is the money of slaves. If you're tired of seeing your wealth sapped by the silent theft of inflation, consider adding gold to your financial plan. Gold and silver have been recognized as sound money and a store of wealth for centuries. Converting your savings into gold and silver will protect and preserve your wealth so that one day you'll be able to pass down a true inheritance to your children's children. That's where our friends at Alpine Gold Exchange come in, offering 0% buy-sell spread, gold leases with up to 3.5% annual return, paid in gold, by the way, and secure vaulting right here in Utah. Alpine Gold approaches every transaction with fairness, honesty, and respect, reflecting a strong Christian business ethic in all that they do. Head to ogden.gold today or tap the link in the description to sign up or schedule an appointment to speak with an Alpine Gold advisor today and see what would best serve your family. And just so you know, if you schedule a call, you'll be speaking with Jace, Ethan, or Stu, three members of Refuge Church right here in Ogden. Head to ogden.gold and check it out today. 
Do you guys know that I'm going to be turning 40 this year? What? What? Yeah, looking back, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't know the basics of investing. That whole world was foreign to me, and I didn't know where to go to get help. The thing is, I missed decades of opportunities to build inheritances for my kids and to take care of my wife and me in retirement. You know what, Dan? I'm in somewhat of the same spot, except I still have all my hair. My eyes glaze when people talk about IRAs, life insurance, and tax strategies. But not only that, Dan, I don't have time to sit at my desk, study stock market charts, and read tax codes. You guys may be older than me, but it's not too late, even at your geriatric age, to get help. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial is helping all of us with our financial planning. He is a Christian man who works with one of the largest and most trusted financial service companies in the world. You know, that's part of why I regret not doing this earlier. Joe helped me to see the opportunities I missed, and he developed a plan for my family based on my goals. Joe has made himself available at all hours of the day to help me. Whether you have millions in assets or are just starting to invest, Joe Garrisey will help you reach your goals to grow the kingdom and leave a good legacy for your generations. Visit BackwardsPlanningFinancial.com. That's BackwardsPlanningFinancial.com. Or call 615-767-2555 to speak with Joe to prepare for the future. One of the things that I saw also related to the Super Bowl and culture this was shared by uh, Protestia, the account, and this was a an affront to the living God. This is a church service. There is a lady pastrix, and she has a Chiefs jersey on, and then there is the pastor who has a 49ers jersey, and there is a referee who does a coin toss and then she kicks the Bible. I saw that. Oh my word. I mean, it was a pretty good kick for a girl, by the way, it it had to be rigged. She practiced for a long time. No doubt. Yeah. I know people that won't put their Bible on the floor and this lady is like kicking a Bible on stage. I think that's, you know, so one of the things uh, I've been researching and writing, we've been working on season three of the King's hall. And some of our great Christian forefathers. And I was thinking about Jan Sobieski charging the lines at Vienna and this famous charge when the winged hussars arrived. I mean, let's go, Dan. Yes. And before they go, they have mass on the hillside. And the preaching by the friar roused the men to such a stir that their frenetic energy could not be contained after giving mass. He charged them not only to defend their women and their children, but the whole of Christendom. And he told them, men, everything hangs on you. God be with you. Now go. And they charged down this hill. The Turks said it looked like a just river of black pitch. 20,000, largest cavalry charge in history, coming down the hill. Jan Sobieski, this great Christian hero and the king of Poland, what do you think those guys would say about this crap? Well, and they had, they're called the wing hussars because they wore wings like the angel of death. Th- their nickname was the angels of death. I mean, come on. Let's go. What do I, you I, think? I, like, yeah. if, you, if you just took them, fast forward, put them in a time machine and be like, yeah, this is uh, what the West is going to become. I, I, I don't know what they would say, but I do know that if you don't take yourself seriously, why is anyone else going to take you seriously? It seemed like the wing hussars probably took themselves quite seriously and their duty. I mean, 
their duty, not just being like stoics, but I, I mean, their duty was, they understood what was at stake. These people that are having Super Bowl skits and kicking Bibles on stage don't understand their duties and they don't understand what's at stake. And that's why, again, back to the architecture, back to the standards of, of our civilization, everything is falling apart and people are still goofing around, not realizing that they're neglecting their duty and they're costing the lives of their people and of their generations. I, I think that the, you know, uh, the winged hussars would be uh, grieved and probably brought to wrath. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's just so crazy to me. It, it, what I want to say about it is it's like looking at two different religions. I agree. When you look at the faith of our fathers and then what's happening broadly among, and, and really a lot of it is because of the leadership, which is just so shoddy. I mean, the, I obviously think as a post-mill guy, that the events described in apocalyptic language in the New Testament, particularly the four Gospels, are describing AD 70 in the fall of Jerusalem. However, I think some of those themes always happen when there's judgment coming. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the rise in false teachers and the love of many will grow cold. And you look at who's leading. It's ugly, ugly, nasty women like Karen Swallow Pryor. These are the people who are leading the church and cucked men. Uh, something that Stephen Wolf said, I, I found this really interesting. He said, political regimes prefer to appropriate religions, not destroy them. And they prefer to use regime aligned religionists to undermine and destroy their fellow religionists. The regime controls praise and blame. And so it pours praise on friendlies who then attack regime enemies. I think what you're seeing in America, particularly a bit like the Pharisees, where you have evangelical elites and leaders who are so consumed by the love of money and the love of the praise of men that they're willing to align themselves with a regime that is just despicable and God hating. So you get guys like Russ Moore and Karen Swallows prior, where she's actually defending that, which is an abomination to the Lord in the name of defending the Lord. Mm hmm. And so you get all these messages. They're just regime controlled puppets, but they're actually defending, you know, glo globalist narratives, that sort of thing. This is the same spirit of uh, the Pharisees when they approached Jesus and, and they said, you know, we know who your father is or we know who our father is, but who's your father? They're like, they're calling him a bastard and calling him out. And he says, and they think that they're defending God. Your father is the devil. Yes. Yes. But it's the same, it's the same spirit, um, you know, of that age that Jesus found to be particularly repugnant in the Pharisees. Well, and I think one of the things, uh, one of the things the regime hates is a lot of the work that we're doing, which is recovering the history of Christendom. And I had some time to reflect on this because of the Tucker interview back to that with Putin. And it's really interesting to me that Putin began with 40 minutes, 40 solid filibuster minutes. So it seemed about the history of the Russian people. Because Tucker asked him, you remember, he said, why did you inv invade Ukraine? And then he gives this long history. 
And because we're doing season three and going through the history of Christendom, I immediately was like, no, 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 Putin is a, he understands how important history is. Mm-hmm. I think on this point, he's actually kind of a genius. It was impressive to me when he said, well, you really got to go back to like the 1800s. And then in detail recounted, I mean, kings, princes, rules, overthrow. I mean, he knows his history, but the way that he views history shapes the, the way he views the world today. And this is why the regime is so set on destroying our father's and their biographies, right? Writing them off as villains mm-hmm. and crooks. Yeah, the destruction of statues and monuments to our godly forefathers. Yeah, they're trying to erase history. This is the 1984 play. Well, and so so what I'm getting at is I think one of the most important things that we can do, not to overstate it or toot our own horn or any of that, but one of the most important things we can do is recapture the history. Because when you read about Jan Sobieski or Richard the Lionheart, the emirs and Saladin, like one of their best commanders for, for the Muslims, Saladin said, I, I will not go to war ever again with Richard in head-to-head war. He kills us. They destroy our people. When you read about Christian heroes like Richard, it puts a fire in your veins. It puts a zeal in your belly. And that's, the regime hates that. Yes. So even as we're thinking about Everything that we do at New Christian Press, Hard Men Podcast, trying to show people what real men are. Uh, realizing this is like 100% counter regime narrative. And so that's why you get Karen Swallows Pryor. She, she had tweeted, the biblical manhood industry is a scam. I'm like, Karen, you're a scam. Big Eva is a scam. You guys are like scam central. Like this is pretty rich, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes to Stephen's point. They have to do this. They're always going to attack the people who oppose the regime, mm-hmm. right? Because they're regime players. So uh, one of the principles that I want to flesh out with you now, I think, okay, go back to the, the Putin interview. Putin said the U.S. is the most powerful propaganda, propaganda engine in the world. They control most of the media in Europe even. So the U.S., but also Europe. They're so dominant in what they do, but so much of what they're pr- promoting is absolute folly, right? It seems to me that the primary warfare going on today is information. It's information operations. And so that kind of gets to what we're doing. One of the principles is Jan Sobieski and the shock troop. You know, how, how is it that you could have a cavalry charge of 20,000? You say, that's a lot. There were 200,000 Turks on the ground, Turks and Tatars mainly. They were outnumbered badly, but they won because of the way that they fought, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to think through how do you apply those, that first principle to the warfare of information and ideas, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not predominantly, we're not lining up in battle in the same way right now. So how would you apply that sort of shock troop mentality to our day? Well, Eric, in order to answer that question, I really have to go back in time. Do it. No, but seriously, uh, the recent information age, the changes in media has really uh, given opportunities where there were none. 
So in the past you had, I mean, like when we grew up, grew up, I didn't have cable, but I had television and you really had like four, four, four channels. And that, that was about it. That's where you got your news. That's where you got your information. There was no internet. Well, with the advent of the internet and with different media platforms, social media and YouTube and, and things of that nature, all of a sudden you have a decentralized media. And so the former power players who are really controlled by, you know, one, really one company and probably one group of people. Anyway, uh, all of a sudden there are weaknesses because they don't control all of the information. And so I think one of the reasons that Karen Swallow Pryor is now attacking masculinity when she has been, but with that tweet, you know, masculinity is a scam. This, this masculinity industry or whatever she said, biblical masculinity biblical. industry. Oh, okay. Uh, is because it's actually making problems for them. It's making problems when people have to address Christian nationalism. There's a, you know, Washington DC viewing of the Christian nationalism, anti-Christian nationalism documentary. You should look at those things and say, okay, yeah, they're maneuvering. They're positioning. This is moving the pieces uh, on, you know, on the, on the, the chessboard. But w- what they're doing is they're actually having to take into account this decentralized media that is actually influencing people. Because you'll also have noticed that as time has gone on, one of the lowest trust industries is media. I mean, people don't trust the news. They don't trust uh, the government, the, uh, the information that they're providing. Uh, 2020 really put the nail in the coffin for that. And so I say that because there is more opportunity now than there ever has been for waging a propaganda war, if you will. And that's in in a way we're, we're doing that. It's not false. We're not leading people astray, but it is an information war. And so there's more opportunity now than ever before. And one of the principles that I think is really important to understand is relentless pursuit. Because so relentless pursuit is usually a very quick attack when people are retreating. Okay. And I I really do think that that's happening is that you have media giants, uh, you know, superstars in media that are now on the ropes really with Tucker. I mean, his show on, on X on Twitter, it's getting, I, I mean, when I looked at the Putin interview, it had been. I think it had been six hours or something like that. It was like 148 million views, something ridiculous like that. I could recall the number wrong. I don't know what it's at now, but I don't think that any of the major news media platforms are getting that. I don't know what the Super Bowl viewership was, but I doubt it's more than the Tucker Carlson and Putin interview. And yeah. So, so what did you say? Tucker was, I, I thought it was 148 million, but it might've been 48 million interview. Viewers. I didn't know I was going to be on a podcast talking about the view count. So I, yeah, that's a good question. Within the first hour, it had 20 million. Oh, Okay. Uh, Super Bowl was 123.4. 123.4. Tucker. Here at the Hardman Podcast, you know I'm a huge supporter of men who value hard nose, hard work. 
Our country is literally built on the backs of men who have carried the weight of responsibility for their families and driven the economy forward. That's why I'm so excited to join forces with Max D Trailers, a Texas-based and family-owned company, to bring you this episode. I'm proud to partner with Max D to see the vision of New Christendom establish one small business at a time. Max D builds innovative, hardworking trailers for the builders, fixers, and growers of the world. The company proudly supports blue-collar haulers, men whose businesses depend on Max D Trailers. You can follow their stories by checking out Max D Trailers on Instagram or by visiting the link in the show notes. Learn more about Max D Trailers by visiting maxdtrailers.com where you can check out the article, 10 Ways to Make Money with Your Trailer. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, is on a mission to help Christians live out the Dominion Mandate by making a stealth-like move away from the mainstream banks and into their own privatized banking system. This innovative system is designed to guarantee uninterrupted compound interest and tax-free growth without exposure to typical stock market risks. To join this growing community that is already building wealth into future generations and converting post-mill talk into post-mill action, contact Private Family Banking partner Chuck De Laterante at his email, chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. To set up an appointment and to receive a free copy of Chuck's new book, Protect Your Money Now, How to Build Multi-Generational Wealth Outside of Wall Street, and avoid the coming banking meltdown, go to the link in the show notes for more information. Uh, well, the video that is pinned to Tucker's X profile is 200 million. 200 million. That's just Twitter. That's not on his website yeah, or so, on YouTube. So, I mean, the point stands. So the Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview more, has had more views, vastly more watched than the Super Bowl, than the Super Bowl, which was gay. And you could even say like, <laughs> oh, that's only a difference of, you know, it's only like, you know, a 35 percent difference. That's that's 70 million views. That's 70 million. That's a lot. Yeah, that's and a lot, a, a lot. That's a, that was a two hour interview, too. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's people care about that. Yeah, they do care about it. So my point is, you actually have to be able to view things rightly. So the reason that people are punching back at some of these quote unquote fringe ideologies or far right conspiracies is because they're actually taking root because they're finding fertile ground. And now they're on the ropes. Quite honestly, Uh, they want to maintain the appearance of power. Uh, You know, they want to maintain the appearance of strength. But the reality is we're actually winning. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it right now, but we're actually winning. I can see our, our podcast downloads. I can see, you know, Twitter interactions and things like that. Uh, you know, our pastor Brian Sauvet made a point the other day. He said, when we first started this thing, we were going, you know, we were interacting with a lot of the gospel coalition guys and stuff like that. They're no longer on Twitter, but both you, you know, Eric and Brian have more Twitter followers than they did when we started this thing. Oh, yeah. Than, than many of them. And so you can see that this is actually this is working. So because of the low trust that people have in the media, what has really taken over uh, for good or bad is that you have influencers have really taken the spotlight as people that you look to for advice. When I look for health advice. 
at one time, believe it or not, I would look at medical journals. I would look at medical papers. I would look at university studies. And now I, I, I mean, I would still look at like Andrew Huberman, but there are different guys on, on Twitter and on YouTube that I would take their advice before a lot of these medical professionals. Why? Because I don't trust the medical professionals at all. And at least these YouTube guys probably don't have huge budgets from some big pharma company that's Pfizer. getting them to, you know, to say some sort of narrative. You, you, you have to be suspicious either way and not trust wholesale. But really, that does give opportunity for godly men to rise up and to take um, this idea that you can bring the fight to these big globalist conglomerates like you can actually do it and win. Uh, in a lot of ways, your mobility and not having any hooks in you from different corporations or from, you know, different uh, government agencies gives you a lot of freedom. What are they going to do to you? Especially if you have limited debt, if you don't have a corporate job or things like that, what are they going to do to you? What are they going to do to Eric when, when they're like, hey, Eric, we don't like this narrative. Like whoever this, whoever is saying they don't like the narrative, you need to stop or else we're, we're going to fire you. We're like, gonna, well, what are they going to do? We're going to ban you from the Big Eva conference tour. Yeah. I mean, they could take you off of X, I guess. But but I, but I think uh, even that I mean, with with Tucker, the reason it's such a big deal is, well, number one, Elon is really smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not Fox News, not CNN, not MSNBC, but. Tucker is now on Elon Musk's X. Yes. Getting all those views on his platform. Uh, but it took some stones from Elon to say, I'm going to allow this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to allow, because in the past, that's not what happened on Twitter. But I think now, especially because you have guys like Tucker saying it, the wake and the birth behind him is much broader for people like us. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it as a, a windfall in that way, because they're probably going to go after Tucker before they would go after Well, right. But even if uh, this is the beauty of things like social media, if they cancel Eric Kahn from Twitter, guess what? Eric Kahn's brand. Yeah, I know you don't have a brand, but your your platform will grow because it's a Saul Linsky principle is that you polarize and you make your opponent address you and you become a peer. And so if somebody with a bigger platform addresses you, you share a platform. Yeah, you rise to the level of the entity that canceled you. That's correct. Yeah. So if 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 you get canceled on X, all of a sudden, that's a big deal. Yeah. That becomes a big deal. Well, and uh Ted Goya on Substack, we've been following him, or I have for a little while. Uh Aaron Wren, I think, had had written some stuff about this, but uh Ted has some really interesting thoughts about legacy media and how it's dying. Mm. And he was noting how like his Substack has more viewers than a lot of the major news networks too. Wow. And uh that's that's really astounding, but you're right, that shift is there. Uh getting back to the principle though of pursuit. So, uh, one of the places that we found this in the King's Hall, of course, encourage everybody if you're not I if you're not listening to that, what are you doing with your life? But uh we recently had an episode on King Alfred. And one of the battles, they have their big battle at Ashdown. Of course, they win um, against the Danes. But then later battles, they lose. They actually won the first skirmish, but they didn't pursue. And so the Vikings would regroup and then attack them, and then they would lose. A uh, very similar thing with Stonewall Jackson, the Battle of Manassas. 
They defeat the Union Army, and Stonewall said to the generals and to Jeff Davis, we need to march on D.C. right now. It's this principle of pursuit, like winning fast and quick if you're the smaller force. You're not going to win a really long, drawn-out process. So my question for you, Dan, apply the principle of pursuit. Uh, Maybe it's social media. I'm going to attempt to apply it. Um, well, in terms of what would be a bad application. Oh, okay. I think one of the things that can happen with guys like ourselves, you, you build a platform, you get a little bit of recognition, notoriety, people start looking to you. And so you change your message and you tone it down because, oh, you know, suddenly the Daily Wire or Blaze or somebody like that is calling and you could get their money, you could get a bigger platform, but it means that you have to change the message. You have to stop being quite so incendiary. Right. And going on the attack the way that you do. And so I think one of the things is maintaining your integrity in your voice and what you're saying, Um, you know, not giving into the sort of the pressure of larger institutions who want to buy you off, because this is actually what Google did for many, many years. They'd have upstart competitors and they wouldn't feel threatened by them. They would just buy them. Mm -hmm. They would buy them out and then they're not that company anymore. Yeah. Facebook did the same thing. Yeah. So I, I think for a lot of us, it just means you've got to keep fighting the fight even after you've had initial success and you've got to keep hammering the message home unashamedly. I, I thought it was interesting. Tucker, again, interview with Putin, shows up on X. It's a major win to even get that interview. It's a major win to even have accomplished that, that thing. And he could have come out afterwards and sort of either backtracked or just soft pedaled or been like, yeah, you know, it was a good interview, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really going to wade into the sharks. I'm just going to let it stand let the, on its yeah, own, right. let it ride, whatever. That interview with the UAE, I mean, he came out all guns blazing. They were like, uh, you know, you interview Putin. Uh, he seems like he's a pretty together guy. Uh, compare that to, you know, Joe Biden. And he's like, we have a guy in office who has dementia, is senile and cannot put two sentences together. It is an embarrassment to the nation. It's an embarrassment to the world. And it shows that our government and our country is being run by other entities. And I was like, holy smokes. In the same interview, he said, he's like, they said, why, why are you only now interviewing Putin? And he said, well, I tried for three years, but the NSA and the CIA, CIA tapped my phone and then forbid me from going and doing it. I mean, talk about drawing the target on your back, Mm -hmm. but he's not backing down. I think that's an example of pursuit. He's continuing to drop the hammer on these issues. And so I think for us, it's the same thing. Like don't lose the salt just because, Oh yeah. You know, your, your platform grows a little bit. You, You win all these people with a certain ethos. Well, don't change it. Yeah. You have to keep the same ethos. Right. That's one of the ways we've talked about this. Institutions die. Ministries die is because courage attracts men. They're started by courageous men. Yeah. They're started by courageous men that do take astronomical risks and are successful. And then at some point, the scales tip in the risk meter and they go, I don't want to lose. I don't want to risk losing what I've already gained. And so I'm going to soften the message. It would be like going to the casino and you're like all in on red. And it hits and you just do this a couple of times and then you're like, let's do some penny slots, you know, which if you do that at the casino, that might be a good strategy. I'm not advocating for gambling, but in an institution where you have 
good principles, like you have to continue the pursuit. Well, this was even something in the Acts 29 rise and fall of Mars Hill that that was kind of illuminating to me that groups like Acts 29, when they were successful and growing, it was run by a lot of sort of Wild West gunslinger types, young men with passion and zeal. Yeah, they made mistakes, whatever. And then at some point it got handed over to like the lady bureaucracy of managerial types. And look at it now. It's like a in a death spiral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're. Well, yeah. And, and quite honestly, I hadn't really considered it before, but there are challenges once you get to a certain size administration because of government regulations and just because of organizational complexities becomes really difficult for guys essentially like us to manage all of those moving parts. And so the temptation is like, I don't get it. And you start handing off authority to other people because you don't want to do the work. And that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, depending on how you manage. But that is what I'm saying is that you get to a certain size and it becomes so complex uh, and you risk losing everything. If you, uh, for example, let's say new Kristen and press gets to the size where all of a sudden, you know, Hardman podcast is bringing in $50 million a year. A month. A month. Yeah, $50 million (laughs) a month. And uh, some big institution comes after you and you have the choice. Do I respond with my principles, what I think, straight up, I'm just going to go full Alex Jones on this person? Or, and risk losing your platform, risk being lost on Patreon and Buzzsprout and, you know, whatever, you know, streaming services that we use because we use those things. We We have to. Um, and risk losing it all. Well, man, maybe it'd be easy just to let it go, to not respond. And you slowly lose credibility over time because you used to be willing to fight those fights, but nobody's seen you fight a fight in a long time, getting pretty long in the tooth. And there are other men that are actually worth following because men follow courage, not titles. Right? Yeah. I think also as men get older, this is particularly true, like PCA world, SBC, you get older, you're established in your church, and if you're going to make waves, it's like, well, I might lose my pension. I might lose my benefits. I might lose my standing. Let me ask you this, Dan. At a personal level, how do you keep the fire burning so that you can keep your foot on the gas? Like, How do you, how do you guard yourself against that instinct to let off the gas, take it easy, coast, play it safe, et cetera? Yeah, I so I I haven't had this temptation because I haven't experienced success that would actually cost something, you know. But if I was giving advice to someone, oh, by the way, if I would really like to try the test of fifty million dollars a month in just income, to just to happens. see if I have the what, what what was that famous quote that few men will pass? Wealth is a test that most men will not pass. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, One of the, yeah, I guess if I was giving advice to a guy, like, uh, let's say a guy like Tucker, who's experienced tremendous success, especially since he's left Fox News. I mean, amazing success. I'm sure if it continues after a while, there's a couple of things that grate on you. It's not just the money. It's not just the platform. It is actually exhausting. I know Alex Jones. I joked earlier about Alex Jones. I'm not a huge Alex Jones fan as in like, I watch a lot of his stuff, 
But he said in the, uh, I saw him in the Tucker Carlson interview and he said he's really tired. Yeah, like had like a mental breakdown kind of. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is when you're at the front lines for so long, because it's, it's a, it's a war in which you'll never die of a wound, right? You're not going to get killed uh, like you would in the front lines of battle. There's, there's no reprieve. There's no like, oh, I'm injured. I'm out of the fight for a minute while I heal. You're just, it's all mental. And so I think it's really important to rest. I think it's really important to rest. I think it's also important to understand that as influence grows, as respectability grows, as your platform grows, your, the expectations will grow for what you do. Like your responsibilities grow. You will have more work. There's no shortage of work. The number of projects that we could pursue in any given week uh, is without number. I mean, yeah, we have we, all, too many idea people. We have to with practice a lot of good ideas. The discipline of doing less. Yes. Yeah. And so, one of the things I would say is uh, is advice that that actually Eric you gave to me a long time ago, which is to concentrate the flow. You know, if your work uh, is like water going through a hose. You should really concentrate the flow to make it more powerful. So that is exercising the no's and knowing what to say yes to. It makes your yeses more powerful because you're putting your full weight behind that. One of the temptations of guys, this is just guys in general, is that there are going to be a lot of shiny objects. We've all done this. If you've had a hobby at all, you've done this. So all of a sudden you're like, I have no interest in golf whatsoever. Somebody invites you out to the driving range. And golf is now like your thing. You're watching YouTube videos. You're spending your money. Yep. Yep. And you do it for like a summer and you realize, wow, I'm really bad at golf. And this is really hard. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I haven't done in a long time fished. And it's like your new thing. And that's how we, we operate a lot of times is when we meet resistance. And so when you, whether you're successful or not, this is a temptation, but especially when you're successful, because it can actually dilute your successes. And so I think it's really important to stay on principle and, and really be strict with your nose. The other thing, too, is, is to be a man of principle, just in general. Know what you exist to do. That's really important. This is what I want to do for the next 50 years. If I accomplish this, my life will be a success. Answering that question is really important. It's really important for every man, platform or not. You have responsibilities. You should know what those responsibilities entail. You should discover your duties and you should execute them well. Because then you, a lot of us had this impending sense. It's like, it's like being at a company, being an employee and having a boss that's kind of laissez-faire and you never know where you stand. Your job is not very well defined. The boundaries aren't very well defined. You don't have any measurables. You have your yearly performance review and you go into it and you're like, I could be fired or I could get a raise. I have no idea. That is not good. That is not good. Not knowing where you stand. But the thing is, you do it to yourself as well yeah. by not knowing what your duties are, not understanding what your principles are, not knowing why you're here. Why do you exist? And, and so when you do that to yourself, you're always going to have a vague sense of failure because you don't even know how you measure up according to your own standard. Yeah. And so I think that's really important. I've gotten off the topic a little bit. But no, that's helpful. I, I think some of it too, you mentioned like concentration of force, focusing. So we've even done things within the company and like, what are we really good at? Let's focus on that. Not try to do a million things at once. In warfare, this would be like not opening two fronts of warfare at the same time. You know, and knowing like, I'll take breaks from Twitter. 
and it's it's really for the sake of saying like I don't want to be in like a Taylor Swift Twitter meltdown every week. I have people to pastor. We have a you know business entities that we're you know working on podcasts, etc. And so a, a wise military leader is not going to attack every day all the time. You have to pick your spots. You have to know what's important. And then the other thing I would say is just having friends and peers, you know, in, in much counsel that wise where warfare is waged and it's just important. I think this, this is one of the things, you know, that, that like our friendship that's helped because, because you're not like, you don't have like a huge Twitter platform or like you're looking at things from a different angle. Me personally, you personally. Yeah, right. And so I think having guys around you who keep you grounded uh, one of the things that's helpful in a tribe of men, like in, in the basement here, um, you know, Brian, Ben, you, me, you really, when you hang out with guys who know your faults and who are going to pick at them, if you act like an idiot, that's actually really helpful. Yeah. Um, it's one of the few environments I've been in in my life where you can't really be flattered because, you know, like uh, the, the other week I preached and I was like, you know, you, you get done with it. There's a sense of relief. And then somebody will make a quip like, wow, that was, yeah, that seemed like it went okay. Um, yeah, I guess next time we'll get you a platform since we can't see your face over the top of the pulpit. <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it prevents you from taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, and there's something too that it's actually like your friends putting on armor for yeah, you yeah. in a way. Yeah. Just like a, a protective thing. Uh, one thing that I think it was urban Meyer used to always tell Tim Tebow and Tim would repeat it, but he said, don't believe the press clippings about yourself. And part of it is it's never as good as you think. And it's never as bad as you think. Yeah. So trying to bring yourself back to sort of an even keel position. No, there's a, one of the things that I immediately thought of when you asked the question was it's important to have your tribe. Yeah. Like it, there's safety within the tribe. Because you go out and, and you're in this media war, you're in this battle, or you're just like trying to do a good job for your family. You know, you're trying to provide, you're trying to uh, be a good churchman in your church, and you're, you're going to be hit by the enemy at some point, and you're going to get worn down. And it's really important to have other men that are there to make fun of you so that you feel encouraged. But I, I yeah. mean, but seriously, that is, yeah, that well, you get... And also, I'll say this, like, because we're so involved with the church here, mm -hmm. there's a great deal of people who aren't on Twitter and don't care. Yeah. And that's actually really humbling and good, too, because you'll be like, it, you, you almost get obsessed with the stuff that you're fighting every day. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah, like I was on Twitter. I was talking to another pastor friend. I was like, oh, yeah, I was on Twitter. This thing blew up. And he was like, oh, cool. cool so uh, you've done anything yeah. fun lately? <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> not rude, but just like, that doesn't, I, I don't I follow it. I don't, don't really care. care at all. Yeah. Or even if they agree with you, like, yeah, that's, that's true. I agree with you. Uh, so what else is new? You know? Yeah. And, and that, that humbles you. It keeps you grounded uh, in the things that really matter. I, final thing I'll say, I think Tucker was wise on this. Uh, in the UAE interview, I've heard him say this before. They're like, Tucker, have you seen your ratings? And he's like, oh, I don't look at those. Uh, the guy asked him, he said, did you see what Hillary Clinton said about you? And he said, no, she's a clown. I don't listen to those people. He said, I'm really not on social media. <laughs> I have people for that. <laughs> but that also is a protection, right? Yeah. Like not being a, I call it like weather watching. Yeah. 
not reading the polls every day and just saying that's not leadership. If you're watching the polls to figure out what you should do, like being deep in study season three, King's Hall has been really good for that. Like study, read, do your homework, focus on those things. Mm -hmm. And, and almost just have an attitude about it's like, yeah, people are idiots. That's normal. Yeah. One, one, one other thing that I think people should think through, because I think the assumption when we talk about waging the cultural warfare, whatever is immediately people think social media. And that is a battlefront. But I would challenge you to think through what Eric just said about studying, about reading, about being thinking men, about reading the times. The best way to know the times is to know history. Yeah, it really is. Because, I mean, nothing that we're seeing is that unique. It's happened before. You think sexual immorality, debauchery, transgenderism, like, all of this, maybe the surgeries are new, but the sins aren't new. This has happened before. Uh, so studying history helps you to know the times and then thinking through creating legacy type of works, which include, I would argue, include our people. Yes. Our sons, our wives. First uh, the, and foremost. Yes. The men that we're discipling here locally, they are our legacy. Yes. You know, more than podcasts or whatever. If anything, we're doing the podcast to help feed those people and to inspire them in the work. So, yeah, I think that's really helpful. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. We appreciate, of course, all of our listeners. If you're not already, uh, we would ask you to consider joining and partnering with us by signing up for Patreon. You can join for as little as $5 a month. That goes a long way to supporting this work and the work we're doing at New Christendom Press. We're excited for all of our new patrons. We've had quite a few, Dan, with King's Hall. Haunted Cosmos is growing, and so is the Hardman Podcast. So we appreciate all of our listeners. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. Mm-hmm.